You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. On the right side, taking Belaga's spot. Second down and two. Little flip here to Jones. Gets a block. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down. He's inside the 10. And Jones down the sideline. Get him the ball, and there's just no way that they can compete with Aaron Jones in that kind of space. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And you can text the show at 865-658-5824. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to everyone who showed up last night for the uh, Tony Mandarich interview. Um, what an awesome time. What an awesome conversation. Learned so much about the guy. Um, just uh a humble human being, and it's so crazy because everything you've seen in the past on on Tony Mandrich has just been he's this cocky, arrogant, selfish person, uh, drug addict, all these things. And I'm thinking, man, that was a long time ago, right? And then you hear his story, and it's like, wow, what a comeback. Just uh, an amazing person. It was such an honor to uh, have a conversation with him. But we're doing things a little different today. I just decided, you know what, I got a little extra time. Let's go live on YouTube and Twitter. This will be in podcast form as well. So appreciate everybody tuning in, making us a part of your day. And I've got a little video I'm going to share uh, about nine minutes long. It's from another podcast that I like to listen to. It's actually called, I believe, Journey to the Draft. And it's kind of an Eagles-based podcast, but they go through and do a lot of draft coverage. They have Greg Cosell on all the time. And uh, he just, the, the whole group, they, not only do they talk draft, but they talk draft from a standpoint of understanding the schematics of the game and understanding what these uh, potential prospects fit into. And they kind of look at it through the lens of every NFL team. What kind of player are they looking for? That type of thing. So they did a quick like nine minute recap of the Packers draft. And it sparked a little bit of contract uh, talk as well with Rashawn Gary. And uh, when I say with Rashawn Gary in uh, in regards to Rashawn Gary's upcoming contract extension talks. And we'll hit on that and kind of crunch some numbers. But uh, first things first here, we actually got a caller on the line. I believe this is Tim in Green Bay. Tim, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Clayton. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Just uh, got some coffee in me. You know, was listening to a few of my favorite podcasts here on a Saturday morning and uh, was like, you know what, man, I'm just – I'm a little excited. I'm going to get on here and talk a little Packers. And I know this was very impromptu, man. Um, you calling in. Appreciate you taking the time. How's things going in Green Bay? Uh, it's going well, Clayton. You know, it's funny. I was just doing the uh, the good old honeydew list. The wife's out of town. So I'm caulking <laughs> the bathtub and I'm painting the window frame. And now I'm out in the garage. And I just happened to, to hear your alert on Twitter on my phone. And I figured I'd take a break and jump on. So things are going well up here, man. It was it was awesome to uh, I know you touched on it at the beginning, but uh, can't say enough about that uh, podcast last night with Tony Mandrich, man. That was just powerful stuff, um, bigger than football. And uh, you hit it on the head, man. Packer fans need to hear that. You know, I, I wish we could get that played in Lambeau in front of eighty thousand and just <laughs> you know it. It's amazing. It takes a big man to be able to speak candidly about
about your past failures and mistakes and uh, taking ownership of them shows complete progress. And uh, I was really taken aback, man. It was a great show last night, brother. I appreciate it, man. I really do. And it, it, again, I appreciate the kind words and there's been a bunch of people reach out to me. Um, the story is so powerful. Anyone could have done it. Anyone could have done that interview and just, it was just trying to stay out of the way and, and let him tell his story. And you, I mean, you, you said it too, right there, man, everybody needs to hear that they do. And and I'm excited, man, we're going to get him back to Lambeau. And, and I yeah. know how that fan base is, man, that fan base, you know, 90% of the Green Bay Packers fans would welcome him back with open arms, especially now knowing, um, not necessarily from this, but from the E60 special and all that that ESPN did, just knowing, hey, this is a man who who battled addiction and fought his way through it, and now he's on the backside, and I'm sure he's still not perfect. I know I'm the farthest thing from it. I, I tell people all the time, Tim, you want to see me – if you haven't seen me do something or say something stupid, hang around, it's coming. It's right around the corner. <laughs> so, um, And that's, that's, the, that's the thing about life, man. It's just – I don't know. I don't want to get on a TED Talk here or anything, but it's just, you know, learning, adapting, treating people right, and just trying to be a better version of yourself every day. You know, that's why I don't – I don't criticize people for seeking – uh, alternate treatments uh, for certain mental issues. I know a lot of veterans that um, have uh, have utilized, uh, for lack of a better word, psychedelics. And and don't get me wrong, I know there's people out there that abuse that too. There's people out there that are just looking to get you know go on a trip and and you know turn it into a more of a party thing rather than hey, this is actual treatment. If someone had told me this five years ago, I'd say nah, that's just an excuse. Someone's wanting to get high and. Uh, I experienced it with my brother firsthand. Now, he didn't go through that treatment, but seeing a VA doctor actually pull him to the side and go, hey, you might want to look into this. I know a ton of people it's helped. But again, everything isn't for everybody. And I just want to create a podcast where we come from a different angle and go, hey, look, nobody's perfect, man. Let's uh, let's try to get through this, you know, <laughs> together. And, and let's build people up, not tear each other down. You know, uh, Zane in the chat said, uh, what's up? Uh, I made it to this live. Go Pack Go what you got for us on this live stream. It's in the title there pretty much, Zane. We're going to we're gonna look at the draft class one last time before camp and then also talk a little contract. But, uh, Tim, before I let you go, man, is there uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about uh, other than, you know, it could be something about the interview. That's totally cool. Before I let you go, what what's on your mind, man? Yeah, really, that that's what's on my mind. It's like I said, it was a powerful pod last night. And, um, you know, there were a real uh, uh, a heavy dose of great quotes from Tony Mandrich throughout that interview. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me was he said it more than once. He touched on it. And he, he said, you know, the Green Bay Packers gave him every opportunity to succeed. And it's kind of what I talk about, you know, taking ownership for your mistakes and your actions. And he freely admitted that, you know, he was in a different headspace. And I mean, if you look at him today and look at him then, I mean, he is, he's, he's a transformed person he's a different person than he was back in 90 and 91 so um i just think that uh it would be great clayton we get him back for the draft that's that's going to be huge like i said i dropped a comment in that that chat yesterday (laughs) and said i'll pay for the flight and i was like 99 percent (laughs) serious oh no dude i i immediately my gears got the turning of uh and and from what i understand he's got his own business now he does photography and all 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 kinds of other stuff uh i think some stuff uh, that's web-based as well but i immediately thought you know ryan's planning on going up for the draft and and ryan was actually in a 
uh, I don't know what to say here. Uh, I guess a producer's chat, maybe, if you will, on the pod. He was actually listening to the entire interview. Ryan being the person he is, he's like, I don't want to be involved with it. I just want to listen. Like, he's that type of guy that if he doesn't think, okay, I'm going to bring value to this situation, it's never about Ryan's slip. It's always about what's best for the content, what's best for the pod, and that's what makes him a great leader of the Packernet Podcast Network. But he was the one who posted in that private chat and said, hey, draft." he just put draft. And I was like, oh, what a great idea. So how cool would it be, man, if we uh, if that's when he made it back, we've got us a, a place set up somewhere, you know, around Lambeau Field. Um, there in Green Bay, and we're doing some live broadcasting for him to drop in. That would be really, really cool. I know dinner would be on me, and whatever we got to do to make it happen, just to just to get him back in there. Because man, he has Tim. He hasn't been there since '92. He said. I mean, think about that. Right. When he left town, he was embarrassed. He was fighting addiction, all those things. He didn't. I, I shouldn't say that. He didn't say he was embarrassed. Maybe that's not the proper terminology. But he was fighting addiction. He was, you know, trying to get his life together and just never looked back, and, and rightfully so. But now, just hear the way he talks about Packer fans and the community. It's. Uh, I, I'm excited to see that happen, man, for sure. You know, during the draft too, it would be how how poignant would it be for him to tell his story while we have these young players in town and and guys that are coming into the league and are facing the same pressures, if not greater pressures and more variables in today's game. You know, these rookies need to hear Tony Manager's story. They, They absolutely do. And the NFL draft is perfect timing. I mean, kudos to you guys for, for doing this and, uh, you know, like you said, Ryan, just dropping that comment. I feel the same way. That's why I'm, I'm drawn to your content, guys, because a lot of times being involved in the conversation is great, but sometimes you got to just know when to sit back and just drink it all in, man. Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, it's, it's one of the keys to life. You know, I, I know anything I've ever accomplished, it, it had very, very little to do with me and more to do with, hey, that person's done that. What can I learn from them? Hey, maybe, maybe you know, I, I – I joke about this. I had a fifth grade teacher, Tim, one time tell me her name was Miss Scott, my favorite teacher to this day. She was very brash, straightforward. That I can I can work with people like that. But she said, hey, she called me Sweet Cheeks. She said, hey, Sweet Cheeks, why don't you let it bounce around that head of yours before it comes flying out of your mouth? <laughs> and I'm telling you, <laughs> it still sticks with me this day, whether it's business or friendships, marriage, anything. It's like, yeah, maybe you need to shut up for a second, dude, and just listen. Exactly. <laughs> So, and, and sometimes it's only it's only a second or two. <laughs> sometimes yeah. you need to. Sometimes it's longer. You know, it's an art form figuring out the timing of it all. And uh, you're absolutely right, man. You know, you, you can't really listen if your your lips are flapping. So, absolutely. Well, man, I appreciate you calling in. It's always a blast to talk to you. Um, one of the people I respect. Uh, a whole lot, especially on Twitter, just the way you engage and keep things positive. It's it's a rarity, and I don't take it lightly. But uh, you stay you stay on that honey do list because if you're like me, man, right now up until week one, I'm trying to get as much credit with the wife as possible because when football season happens, <laughs> I want to I want to you know, just like they talk about in training camp. What is it they said? You know, uh, put it in the bank, put it in the bank, talking about the work. That way you can cash it out later when you need it. That's going to be me week one. It's going to be like, hey. Come on, I've worked my tail off the last month and a half. It's time to watch some football. Just leave me alone. Say. <laughs> Amen, brother. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Thanks for having right, me man. on, Clayton. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. You have a great day, Tim. You too. I'm going to jump off and listen. Thanks. All right, buddy. Appreciate it.
All right, that's Tim in Green Bay. Uh, he hops off. Uh, you guys can hop on. Obviously, we sent uh, sent the, the link in the chat. If anybody else wants to jump on, it's totally cool. I'm going to get into some of this content. I know listeners are going, Clayton, I ain't here to hear TED Talks. I want to hear some Packers content. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and kind of get into that. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was, like I said, uh, just kind of talk about this draft recap real quick before camp starts. You know, we've done a we've done a recap before, but I love hearing other people's opinion. Just like last night with Tony, um, you know, it's a, it's always awesome to uh, to just get other people's perspective. And these are guys that I respect a lot. I'm going to go ahead and share the screen. For those of you on the pod, you can find this at Journey to the Draft. Um, they've got a podcast that's real uh, real easy to find. Like I said, the Journey to the Draft is presented by Life Brand, and it's kind of an Eagles based pod, but it's really really good. I'm going to pause um, throughout this uh, this nine minute clip and just kind of hit on some stuff that came to mind for me, and uh, we'll go ahead and roll through it. Here. Let's get a quick recap, and like I said, it's going to spark a little bit of Sean Gary uh, conversation as well. Players to take bets on. Let's go to the Green Bay Packers, a team that, that you know I know you you're always watching pretty closely here. Their top choice after trading up with the Jets in the Aaron Rodgers deal, they take Iowa defensive lineman Lucas Van Ness. Uh, why did Van Ness uh, end up staying in the Midwest? Well, certainly positional value is really important to this Packers team. Gutekunst and Lafleur, they're almost always going to go up to the trenches in round one, whether O line, edge rusher, corner, one of those premier positions. So he kind of knew where they were going. And don't forget, we had to replace. I know Jerron Reed up front, replace Dean Lowry up front, some guys that are getting a little bit older on the back end, you know, like uh, Preston Smith and some players like that. So there is a need to retool the defensive line and get more impact players. So there's snaps to be had. I think finding a young, exciting, inside, outside, versatile player like Van Ness was important to this team. And for all intents, Fran, he just fits that Packers style. You know, Iowa, you know, he's really tough. He wants to go right through you. You want to call him that corn-fed type of guy. He just fits like a Packers pick. You know, maybe not the Brian Bulaga, Iowa, but certainly an Iowa on the defensive side will fit right in as well. He definitely felt like a Packers pick. That defense, they've got, what is that? I mean, they got to be close to double-digit first-round picks on that side of the ball now, right? In it's terms of close, like, who's yeah. playing in that too deep, I would think there's going to be pretty high expectations on that unit. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, you know, Devontae Wyatt didn't play a lot as a rookie yep. last year. He was a first-round pick. A lot of the attention on Quay Walker, the other first-round pick. pick. Yep. They're going to need both those sophomores to take huge leaps in combination with a guy like Van Ness coming and performing right away, which you draft a guy in the top 15, there's a expectation for him to have an impact. So yep. uh, a lot of pressure on this Packers defense that kept Joe Barry, despite all that talent from last year and Payday's coming up for Rashawn Gary, too. So this team has a lot going on as far as their transition. We're all talking about Jordan Love and the offense. Don't forget about this defense. There's a lot to talk about. Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, uh, Darnell Savage, a first-round pick, Kenny Clark, a first-round pick. A lot of blue-chip talent there on that side of the ball. All right, so let's pause there for a second. You know, a couple of things he talked about was, you know, taking a quote unquote premier position. You know, you you guys hear me word a little worded a little bit different. I say, you know, tier one position. Um, I kind of break the position groups down into tiers and and mainly just two top tiers. But in tier one, what you essentially have is quarterback, left tackle, edge, and interior defensive line. Uh, more primarily, kind of that nose, someone who can play a nose to a three can move around. Your J.J. Watt top, your Aaron Donald top, these guys that are so versatile, so talented, they can move around on the defensive line. That that type of stuff I think is is really, really important in today's NFL where you can push the pocket. You know, edge defender is still extremely important. Obviously, it's a tier one position in my opinion. And I'm, I'm 
pretty sure we have a track record now across the NFL that people are willing to spend the most money and use the 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 most draft capital on these uh, edge positions. But also pushing that pocket from inside is absolutely huge. Playing the run on your way to the quarterback as far as rushing the quarterback. And when you look at it, that's what they did. You know, they went with uh, with Lucas Van Ness, right? What did they do last year, guys? They went with Devontae Wyatt, another one of those tier one positions of importance. What did they do that sparked the big controversy with Aaron Rodgers? They drafted Jordan Love. Why? Because it's such an important position. It's that tier one position of importance. And they seen at the time that, hey, this guy can sit behind Rodgers the same way that Rodgers sat behind Favre. And that gives us the best opportunity to kind of mold him into the quarterback that we uh, we want for the future, right? But with Lucas Van Ness, you know, they said, uh, you know, is – is he going to play inside? You know, you didn't hear them mention um, what I talked about Greg Cosell saying, and and I went back and listened to it. It doesn't sound like Greg Cosell got the information from within the Green Bay Packers building, but he read an article that was written by a local Packers reporter. He didn't say who, that they're playing him more on the outside. And, of course, um, Greg Cosell, who's on this podcast quite a bit, The Journey to the Draft, they've got a, a real close-knit relationship. Um, he he mentioned, I thought he would be better on the inside, right? So I guess we shouldn't put a pin in that just yet because we've also heard the Packers organization say they could see him playing kind of that Zadarius Smith role where he's standing up, roaming a little bit and kind of attacking that A-gap. Guys, that's absolutely huge. Even if you're still just bringing four and dropping one off the edge, almost like that old old school Dom Capers fire zone blitz type look, right, where you know, you're know you showing four on the, on the front and let's say you've got Van Ness roaming in that A-gap he blitzes, right, and attacks that A-gap and puts that extra pressure on the middle of the pocket and then have one of the outside edge guys drop into coverage, whether it's a healthy Gary or a Preston Smith. And some of you guys are going, no, no more Preston Smith in coverage. I understand what you're saying. But when you can apply pressure right in the quarterback's lap when you're not playing a mobile quarterback, it really is the key uh, to uh, to defeating a, a pocket passer, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, that's what they said about that. They mentioned Wyatt and Walker in their sophomore campaigns. They need to take a step. It's it's it's. I mean, it's 100% correct, in my opinion. Um, Quay Walker has got to play a lot better. I know a lot of people seen the tackle numbers and they think, oh, he's just a stud. He's guys. When you watch the tape, he was lost quite a bit. He was. There's many times that he was he was fooled on read options. He was, you know, not schematically sound. He's got all the talent in the world. You know, PFF suggests he's great at pass coverage. That's awesome because he he does have that that physical ability, right? That uh, what am I trying to say here? Those those physical traits that you want in a linebacker in coverage, but also you got to play smart within the uh, the run gap scheme. So um, I think that's something that's gonna going to need to improve tremendously for this defense to take the next step. He was a person, in my opinion, that last year he struggled a little bit. Now, the tackles are great. Don't get me wrong. You've seen him attack the ball. I don't know how many times you you guys heard me talk on the postgame show about, um, man, this guy, when he gets to the ball, he gets there violent. And, and it's something that we need in Green Bay because it's kind of been lacking in the past. I think Devondre Campbell will have a bounce back year. Um, obviously, he had a great year the year before, took a little bit of a step back. A lot of people don't like to mention that he battled through the injuries, but that is definitely something that played a role in those struggles. And then, of course, Devontae Wyatt, you guys have heard us say uh, many times on this pod, and Ryan mentioned it as well. It seems like he had a a good year. 
He graded out well with PFF. When we've seen him on the field, you've seen the athleticism. You've seen him being able to chase plays. You've seen him, uh, you know, with the with the quick spin move, with the quick finesse moves inside, and being able to create pressure on the quarterback. He just didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. When I say a whole lot, comparatively speaking, I think he had over 200 opportunities, if I remember correctly. But this year, I think you're going to see uh, a lot more of Devontae Wyatt, and I'm really, really excited to see that unfold for sure. Here in the chat, we got Zane. I hope Wyatt is ready to step up this year. Kenny needs to help out their dude. Uh, be getting double teamed every play last season. Kenny does see a lot of double, a lot of double teams. And you know, I heard somebody say the other day, Zane. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was a pod I was listening to. Might have been Wildy, might have been Homer's, one of those guys. But they were talking about how this is probably the best defensive lineman to play alongside Kenny. Now, immediately I thought Mike Daniels. But again, Mike Daniels, it's not like Mike Daniels had an all-pro career, right? I mean, I think we would all agree he didn't. He was a good defensive lineman. If Wyatt lives up to that first-round talent expectation with the flashes we've seen last year and now getting more opportunities, maybe he will begin to draw a little more attention, whether it's a, a halfback chipping him as opposed to, you know, helping inside with Kenny. Or maybe it draws a double team to Wyatt every now and again away from Kenny, and Kenny can get more opportunities to get to the quarterback. But, you know, like we talked about before, it's more about the run defense was more of the liability um, than, than anything else. I'm going to hit play here just to make sure I didn't miss this, but Rashawn Gary, I want to talk about his contract, and it kind of sparked that conversation. Maybe they just mentioned Gary. Let me make sure they're beyond that point real quick. When you look at the, at the Packers Hall overall, uh, I want to ask you about the biggest surprise. But real quick for our listeners, I'll just roll through their picks here. Okay, never mind. They're just getting on the picks. Cool. So when they talked about Rashawn Gary just a second ago, and they talked about you know this is a contract year for him, kind of got me thinking like, okay, what 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 is that going to look like now? Much like Elton Jenkins last year, and this this may be a good timeline for us if you guys remember Elton Jenkins battling through the injury, wasn't completely healthy, and they got the contract done, which told me they feel like, okay, he's going to be able to fully recover. Let's go ahead and pay him. Now, at the time, I wasn't completely on board with the Elton Jenkins contract because it seemed a little high for an interior offensive lineman. But like we've talked about in the past, they may see him as a tackle moving forward. He may be the right tackle this year. They may see him as the future left tackle as Bach moves on, whether it's next year or two or three years after that, right? You know, depending on whether or not they get him a contract extension. So when you look at it from that perspective, that's going to be a cheap left tackle or a cheap right tackle if Elton Jenkins does make that move. Now, I think we would all agree in a perfect world, Tom can play right tackle, box one of the best left tackles when healthy in the entire league. Let's keep Elton at left guard, right? Um, that's probably the game plan going into this year. I just don't want to see this musical chairs aspect of the offensive line. That's something I do not want to have to deal with this year. So when you look at the contract, we go to Spotrack, and Spotrack um, basically says that you can look at their – fair market value, kind of like, okay, here's here's what the market suggests they are worth. And it's it's a really cool formula they use because they take like the top four or five most recent contract extensions at that position. They compare the statistics, the quote unquote production and say, okay, here's what we think he's worth in comparison to these top four or top five guys, right? One I think was, could have technically been an interior defensive lineman. And I think the other three were actually edge defenders, one of which was TJ Watt. So TJ Watt, in my opinion, is kind of that, kind of that example we have to go off of, okay? So when you break it down in that perspective, Spotrack on a four-year contract, now 
you know, if Gary, if they feel really good about Gary's knee, they may may be a player that they go six or seven years. Who knows, right? Um, you know, typically quarterbacks are the positions that they do that, or someone that's a you know quote unquote generational talent type player gets those really long contracts. I think four is a good base to just kind of go off of, and that's what Spotrac did. They're they're predicting that his market value is four years, one hundred and four million dollars, which averages out to roughly twenty six million per year. And they didn't have the guaranteed money listed. So what I did was hopped over to TJ Watt's contract. He signed a contract in 2022, four years, 112 million. Now, keep in mind inflation. I know with the economy, nobody wants to hear the word inflation, right? But it's one of those things that he signed that contract in 2022. We're now signing a contract extension in 2023. The bar always kind of gets upped and According to Spotrack, they are compensating for that. But what I wanted to get was the percentage of of guaranteed money with TJ Watt, and then we could tack on that percentage to the one hundred and four million dollar four year deal uh, worth twenty six million per year. So in TJ Watt's contract, to the best of my knowledge, it was four years, one hundred and twelve million, average of twenty eight million per, and he got eighty million dollars fully guaranteed. Okay, so now that guarantee may be in roster bonus. It may be in um, uh, signing bonus. There's different ways that they can kind of form up that, quote unquote, fully guaranteed. Right. So when you take that into consideration, that's 71 percent of the total contract. So he got a 71 percent guarantee on that hundred and twelve million based on four years. Now, I think he could probably could have got more money, but they said T.J. Watt absolutely ran his agent out of the room and said, I want to talk to ownership. I want to get this deal done before camp, okay? Or maybe it was even during camp when it was going on. So there are some people out there going, well, you know, Clayton, he, he, Rashawn Gary's not going to do that. He's not going to run his agent out of the room and take, you know, make it a little bit more friendly for the, for the ball club, you know, this and that. Why do I mention that? Rashawn Gary is his own agent, okay? Now, some of you guys are going, whoa, we've seen how that went with Lamar Jackson. His mom was his agent, and th- that's not a good thing. But look at how Rashawn Gary carries himself. Look at how much Rashawn Gary loves Green Bay. Look at the – you can tell he is 110% all in for his teammates, his coaching staff. He loves everything about Green Bay. You know his hashtag, you know, put cheese on everything. Right. That's he's he wants to be in Green Bay. So I don't think it's unrealistic to look at it from this perspective and go, I could see him taking a similar approach to TJ Watt as opposed to shut up and talk to my agent. I don't, I don't have anything to, to say to you. Um, to the best of my knowledge, Gary is still his his representative, his own representative. So if you broke down that percentage, 71 percent of the contract. That means that the guaranteed money would be seventy three million dollars for Rashawn Gary. So what we're looking at, according to Spotrack a projected potential contract for Rashawn Gary based off of the production in comparison to the top four or five at his position um, and making those deductions and going, okay, here's where we think he falls in 2023. Okay. Their prediction isn't based off of, okay, this is just from 2022. They're simply saying, this is what we think it would be in 2023. Uh, With that 71%, what I see a potential contract extension looking like for Rashawn Gary would be four years, $104.2 million dollars. Averaging roughly $26 million per with $73 million in guaranteed money. Some people hear guaranteed money and they get nervous. I like it personally because what it does with the way the, the, 
the structure of those bonuses is it allows you to maneuver that money around a little bit, right? Yes, that money is due at the time, but you can spread that out over the duration of the contract. You can backload it. You can front load it. It gives you a lot more flexibility rather than a franchise tag. Some people say, oh, I'm not really worried about the contract extension. We can just franchise tag them. There's nobody else on the roster we want to franchise tag. The problem with that is it's it's much much more difficult to move that money around and manipulate the cap in this ca cash over cap game. So if the Packers make the playoffs this year, right? let me give you two scenarios. Let's say they come out and surprise people and they win 10 or 11 games and they make the playoffs, right? Then you're, you feel like your roster is built from a standpoint of, hey, look, we're competing, right? Let's continue to build through the draft. And then what you could do is try to absorb some of that Rashawn Gary cap hit early, meaning when you go into the 2024 offseason, you can go, okay, we like where our roster sits. Let's go ahead and pay some of this bill right now. You actually seen that with Elton Jenkins last year. For all the people that were kicking and screaming, saying they're kicking the can down the road, they're ruining the future, and on and on and on, they, they every one of those doom and gloomers failed to mention that they actually – absorbed a little bit of that hit for Elton Jenkins last year when they really didn't have to. So now you've got a similar contract extension on a similar timeline with Rashawn Gary possibly getting an extension before week one. If they do work out that extension, then I could see them doing something similar because we're still under the cap and they can maneuver things around to, you know, like I said, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like this team can compete, then take a little bit of that hit early, right? Because you're not going to go crazy in free agency next year. Now, let's say you miss the playoffs. I know nobody wants to hear it. You don't want to hear it any more than I want to say it. I promise you. But let's say you do miss the playoffs, right? Now you can backload that a touch and try to go out in free agency and, and shop a little bit. Again, why are you allowed to do that? That $73 million is going to be something that you can kind of maneuver around and manipulate the cap a little bit. Even tack on some voidable years because you know Rashawn Gary is going to be here for the foreseeable, foreseeable future if indeed that knee is as healthy as we think it is. So I just wanted to throw that in there, kind of stay on topic, um, because as they hit on the defense, they mentioned Rashawn Gary's contract, and I thought, I wonder what that's going to look like. That's why we went ahead and did it. So let's move on to the rest of this pod and get back to the draft talk. In this draft, they take Van Ness in the first round. They come back with three day two selections. Luke Musgrave, the tight end from Oregon State. Jaden Reed, the senior receiver from Michigan State. And then another tight end there in Tucker Craft, the tight end from South Dakota State. So three state schools getting some love there from Green Bay on day two. And then on day three. Uh, All right. So with the tight ends, you know, he mentioned uh, actually. Actually, maybe a handful of picks here. Colby Wooden, the defensive lineman from Auburn, a very versatile player. Sean Clifford, the quarterback from Penn State. Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver from Virginia. Carl Brooks, the defensive tackle from Bowling Green. Anders Carlson, the kicker from Auburn. Carrington Valentine, a corner who declared early for the draft from Kentucky. Lou Nichols, the running back from Central Michigan. Uh, Anthony Johnson, a, a decorated player, a safety from Iowa State. And then the final one, Grant DuBose, the wide receiver from Charlotte. So, uh, laying out all of those picks there, Ben. We're talking about close to double-digit selections here for the Packers in this draft. Uh, biggest surprise when you look at the Hall overall? Well, it wasn't a surprise with a double dip on tight ends. I think there was a clear need and intent to address that position, not bringing back Mercedes Lewis, letting Tunyon go to Chicago in free agency. That Y and U tight end in LaFour's offense, very important. So not so much a surprise. I think they did get put on high alert when Sam Laporta went before Michael Mayer and there was that early run. They knew they had to go get guys. But the biggest surprise to me was seeing Jaden Reed go 50th overall. Yeah. The guy I had a huge crush on, 
But I didn't see a lot of pecking orders that had him go over Jalen Hyatt, the Blitnikoff winner, over uh, Josh Downs, who is an exciting gadget player. Even guys like Marvin Mims and Tank Dell got a little bit more steam late in the process. I love Jaden Reed. I had him as a day two player. I just did not see him going 50th overall, but I'm excited he ended up being a Packer, and I expect him to be an impact player right away. So what's your sense on why he was the pick over those other guys? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I just think he fits the Packers style of wanting a three-level threat from the Big Ten. He's played outdoors. He has a toughness to him. He's a competitive player. He tested really well. He showed up at the Senior Bowl, was really competitive in nearly every facet down there. I just think he was a emerging, more complete player than some of those other guys I had listed from the Hyatts, the Dells, the Mims, the Downs, which we all know kind of their highs and lows and their traits and what their issues are. And just think once you started looking at the landscape receiver, he was a safer pick in there. And not only safer, was more exciting and had a lot more impact potential, in my opinion. So he was a guy that kind of flirted just a little under the radar in that next wave of receivers, not knowing where he stood with the you know, Rashid Rice is the world and, you know, that next kind of tier. But 50th overall was right on the money on my board. And I had him as a fringe 50 top 50 player through most of the process. So I just wasn't sure if a team was going to pull the trigger that early. Yeah, they, they talked a lot. They do this consistently whenever they talk about receiver with this profile, but receivers with returnability, that's been like a, going yep. back to like when Ron Wolf was there. Yeah. That's something that they always kind of, you know, give a, a little bit of a bump to just because of what that player can do, not special teams wise, but yards after catch wise. It's like, yeah, this is a guy that has the ability to be a playmaker. He's got that kick return and more notably the punt return experience. And that's something Jaden Reed has done at a high level throughout his career, both at Michigan State and also at Western Michigan earlier in his career. Probably, I guess double dipping at tight end uh, on day two. 
too. They took Musgrave and then they came back and took Kraft. They said basically like they had a really high grade on Kraft and so they came in and, and they've lost a, a bunch of guys in free agency. Mercedes Lewis, I believe, still unsigned. They lose Tanya into Chicago. So clearly some holes there at, in that position room, but it'll be interesting to see how all of those guys kind of fit in together. It wouldn't shock me if Kraft ended up making more of a, an, an impact early on as opposed to Musgrave. Yeah, I think Kraft's going to fill into that Mercedes Lewis role, have his hand in the turf a little bit more, block a little bit more. He's closer to that 260-pound wide tight end. I think Musgrave has that seam stretchability, that vertical element, the pass game element that's going to fill into that Robert Tunyon role. So neither of them are a pure one-for-one replacing those incumbent guys, but just trying to figure out where they kind of line. Uh, But don't forget Musgrave, obviously, from that Oregon State offense, he blocked a lot as well. He did go through day three, early impact players. For me, I'm going to go with that. All right, so let's pause a second. <clears throat> tied in. You know, he talked about Laporta kind of started the tight end run early. And you guys know that when we were sitting here on draft night, I was a big Michael Mayer guy. I had him as my top tight end. Laporta was right there with him. Um, and the question was, when when are they going to start flying off the board? Now, in, in the mocks that I did on my odds, I don't do mock drafts to try to go, hey, look, I can predict what's going to happen. I do mock drafts as exercises going, what different scenarios are going to unfold? And the reason I do that is because NFL teams actually do that. You know, the history of the mock draft, there was actually a guy, I don't know his name right off the bat, but he used to do a mock draft every every year, and he had all the information on all the prospects. And he would do it from a standpoint of like, hey, look, this is a hobby of mine, but then it became this kind of uh, this product that he could sell to the uh, – to the draft, uh, you know, the, the fans of the draft and and, and kind of use it from a, a business standpoint. Well, teams caught wind and they said they every NFL general manager had that mock draft in their front office, in their in their, you know, in their draft rooms. And they trusted the information that much because at the time they didn't have this huge database. They didn't have the Internet and how you could get access to so many you know scouting reports and things right off the bat. You know, they had old, the old ice pick. Um, uh, filing system. We ain't going to get into all that. I'm trying not to grin. You could probably hear me smiling right now, but just some of the stuff that those front offices had to do to be as effective as possible in putting together and constructing rosters, whether it was through the draft, free agency, or whatever, even before free agency, just trying to find talent that no one knew about. Um, but they would use that mock draft. That's the approach I take with the mock drafts. I don't do it to go, hey, look, here's what I think is going to happen, or hey, look how smart I am. There's guys, self edification is people repellent. And I'm telling you, there is plenty of it going on on Twitter, social media, everywhere. It's constantly, I told you this, I told you this. When I come from a standpoint of, hey, look, we predicted this, it's not like, look how good we are. It's like, hey, we're, we're starting to figure out the formula here, right? We're starting to see the tendencies. And we want Packers Total Access, this podcast, to come from a perspective almost like we're within the building. We're trying to figure out what are the Packers thinking? What is LaFleur thinking and putting the game plan together? What's Goody thinking and scouting and and uh, and that whole process and putting themselves in a position to have all the information to make the best draft picks based off of the uh, the current roster? What is Russ Ball looking to do with these contract extensions? How is it going to be structured? Is it going to be front-loaded, back-loaded? Are there going to be voidable years? Are we, are we going all in on cash over cap? Are we backing off now that Rodgers is gone? You know, all these things we want to kind of get into that mindset of the front office. That was the whole purpose of this podcast. Um, but when you kind of look at what they did, we seen early on when doing the mock drafts that 
our best shot is early in the second round. You know, we talked about that over and over and over on the pod that I think they're going to try to get a tight end there early in the second. I didn't personally think they were going to double dip, although in a couple of mock drafts I double dipped. But I'm just thinking, I don't know, man. They don't seem to put that much value on the tight end position. Lo and behold, they did. So when Laporta went off the board, then Michael Mayer, that run started. I think they, just like the guys said on this podcast, the journey to the draft, they were like, all right, we got we got to get aggressive with tight end because we knew that the talent was going to drop off after Tucker Craft, right? There might have been a couple guys. I don't have my draft board pulled up, my spreadsheet spreadsheet right now, but you could tell they were they were very high on those two guys. Now, I'm not as big on Tucker Craft as most people. I know we love to joke about him and how he's very outgoing. You've seen him chugging beers with David Bakhtiari. He looks like he's going to be a Packer through and through. I hope I'm wrong in that regard. When I looked at his tape, I wasn't as impressed as I was with Luke Musgrave. But you got to understand there are two different types of tight ends, right? And they kind of mentioned that. You know, they talked about uh, that they think Tucker Craft is going to play that Mercedes Lewis role, right? Which is the Y tight end that he's going to be attached. Now, there's some cases that you flex the Y out, but when you go to a 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, now you have that second tight end who's playing the Y, who's typically attached, you're kind of playing that wing, who's playing the F, which is typically split out wide as a wide receiver, and also a U is what they referred to it, and you heard the guy say that U tied in in this LaFleur offense. And from the best of my knowledge, Bill O'Brien, when he was with the Houston Texans, uh, started referring to his tight ends as the F tied in and the U tied in, F-U. We know Bill O'Brien's got a temper. He, you know, his nickname in New England was Billy Teapot for a reason. They said he was constantly bowling over, and uh, he he kind of threw that little spin on it. Now that you reference may go back way further than Bill O'Brien. I don't know. What I want people to understand on this pod, this is where you can get lost in the X's and O's. This is where you can get lost in the terminology. You guys heard me. I said over and over, I prefer the old archaic style of calling a play where you read off the numbers, the nine eighty nine. Right. And that's determining the right, a nine route, an eight route, a nine route, as opposed to all of these nicknames that have come about for these different uh, passing concepts, these different route combinations. Right. And it's, you know, if if you prefer to use the route combinations, that's cool. If you prefer to use the numerical system, that's cool. If you prefer to refer uh, to call that tied in an F tied in when someone else might call them a U tied in, don't get bogged down and caught up into that. You're wrong. I'm right type of argument because that's when you drift away from what the tape's actually showing. That's when you drift away from actually learning what are they trying to accomplish here. The main thing you need to understand with the Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave draft picks is Tucker Craft most likely will play that Y tight end, which is going to be attached, hand in the dirt, three-point stance, blocking, and uh, and that Mercedes Lewis role, right? Musgrave is going to be flexed out more like we've seen Tunyon. There was many times that they were in 12 personnel, and you've seen Rodgers, both tight ends, you know, one, one tight end was attached, the other was flexed out wide. When you put Luke Musgrave, who was clocked at over 20 mile an hour at the Senior Bowl in pads, right? When you flex him out wide, I don't see him as a tight end. I see him as a wide receiver. And that's exciting because – if he can block, what you can now do in some cases is come out and show a spread look. You know, let's say you've got you don't have Tucker Craft or Josiah Aguara. I wouldn't rule out Josiah Aguara playing Y a lot this year either. 
But, you know, a lot of people were kind of overlooking that and just assuming Tucker Craft's going to do it. But whoever's in that Y, let's say he's just in a wing look, right, on one side, and you've got Luke Musgrave spread out wide. Once you attack them a few times like that, now the defense adjusts and they go, okay, when when 88 comes on the field from here on out, we're treating them like a wide receiver. So when they go to their quote-unquote 12 personnel, we're going to go to our nickel. All of a sudden, Matt LaFleur picks up on that, and now we come out in that wide set. We, we motion him back in or shift, I should say, back to a tight formation. Guess what? Now from the inside out in a tight formation, you have the advantage in the running game because they're in a nickel set. There's a corner or a big nickel safety that's going to be you know, uh, designated to kind of cover Luke Musgrave. Well, now you've got the weight advantage in the running game. There's a lot of things you can do with that. Immediately people think Musgrave's fast. We're going to use him in the passing game, and, and absolutely. But it's going to take you establishing that a couple of times and saying, hey, he's a real threat. He's a real weapon. Not suggesting he's going to be Hall of Fame material. Play It's way too early to even talk about him being a good player, much less a great player. But if he does mold himself into that kind of player that can play like a, a Gronk flexed out, like a Kelsey flexed out, a Goddard, some of these really good tight ends, now you've got teams on their heels going, how are we going to, how are we going to attack this? That's very exciting to me. One of the other players he talked about um, was uh, Jaden Reed. You guys know I did the Chalk Talk segment. I, I, I've been very transparent about this. My goal was to uh, was to talk about um, when it came to Jaden Reed, I was looking at going, okay, if I can find five plays, if I can find five plays, I'll be happy with this. Guys, I, I could only narrow it down to 16 plays from Jaden Reed especially from 2021. I keyed in on 2021, and if you guys are draft nuts, make sure you make a note of this. The Packers are really, really high on a previous year game tape. So find those players that really performed well the year before and maybe had a down year. They think they get really good quality because uh, really good you know, bang for their buck when it comes to those draft picks because what they're seeing with these players is that was their ceiling. That was their ceiling in college. We can get that out of them, and right now their stock is down. I don't know if you guys dabble in the stock market. I'm not suggesting you should, but if you understand how it operates, you know you you may look at a product or look at a stock and go, okay, I'd like to invest in that, but right now it's extremely high. I'm going to wait and buy it on the dip, right? And what it means is the the five year, the one year, the five year track record is showing this thing is on a steady incline, but right now it's dropping in value. Let me buy it at the low point so I can maximize when it turns back up. That's kind of what the Packers have been doing. What are the two best examples for that? In my opinion, the two best examples are Jaden Reed this year, but also Jordan Love. Jordan Love, when he came out, guys, if he had come out the year before or you know had the type of year he did his junior year or whatever year it was the year before he came out on this draft, then they would – I mean, you're talking about a lot of value skyrocketing with Jordan Love. But what do they do? They caught him on a year where they changed offensive coordinators. He threw a lot of interceptions. Been a lot of talk about that here lately, that all of a sudden Jordan Love's not going to be able to succeed because he threw interceptions his senior year. That just cracks me up. But what did the Packers do? They kind of bought him low, right? If he had had a phenomenal year and took a step forward, he probably would have been a top three pick. But instead he had a bad year, so the Packers bought low and we're looking to maximize on that investment. And I'm just telling you right now, the fact that they were willing to move on from Aaron Rodgers says a lot. Whether you agree with the move or not, whether I agree with the move or not, the one thing we can't deny is that Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur seen something in Jordan Love that they said, that's the guy we're going to be willing to move on from, from Aaron from. Now, 
their minds may have changed a little bit. The two-year contract tells me they're giving them a fair shake, a fair shot at leading this team. And that's just another example of how they bought low. They did that with Jaden Reed. And, and what the guys talked about with Jaden Reed was the same thing I seen on tape in that 16-play uh, uh, saturation of chalk talk that we did. He's a three-level player. People immediately thought that's going to be our slot receiver. That's going to be our slot receiver. And he may be the slot receiver, right? And that's totally cool. You know, for as much 11, 11 personnel as played in the NFL, you've got to have a good slot receiver to be effective, right? But what I seen on tape was this dude played X, this dude played Y, this dude played Z. We broke it down, and I had literally – I can't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I had it broken down like he was – you know, of these 16 plays, five snaps were at Z, three were in the slot. You know, seven were in the X. This one, he was in the backfield. They moved him around a lot. He can play at all three levels, and, and that's what they were looking for. They're looking for players that can be effective at all three levels. What do I mean by three levels? You know, pitch. let's just give you three routes here, okay? Let's give you a nine route, which is a go. That's a deep, just a deep, hey, run to the Buick, I'll throw it to you. If you've seen any given Sunday, you know exactly what I'm referencing. That go route, right? Or even a a post route where, you know, the, the guy's planning on catching the ball 35 yards down the field, you know, the, the the second window of a post route. Then you've got the medium level where it might be a 10-yard dig, right? It might be, a, a, you know, a Dino, a, a shake, whatever, and 10 yards down the field you're crossing over the middle. Or it might be a 10-yard out route, right? That's that medium level. And then you got the shallow crosses, the quick slants, the smoke routes, things like that underneath. They seen on tape these guys, they being – the journey to the draft guy, I've seen the same exact thing I've seen on tape. This guy can attack all three levels, and he can play all three positions when it comes to wide receiver. X, boundary X, he can play Z, he can play slot, right? So that's kind of what I've seen with him. And, and, you know, they also had – it sounded like they also had Jalen Hyatt higher than Jaden Reed. This makes me feel vindicated and, and makes me feel a lot better because on draft night, you guys know Jalen Hyatt was my top receiver. And when they traded back the first time, I went, hmm, there's somebody they like in their top tier of talent right now at a position of need, but they don't think anyone else is on them, right? I'm thinking, this is Jalen Hyatt. What's, why is Jalen dropping a little bit? They trade back, right? Comes up again. I go, this has got to be Jalen Hyatt. They traded back again, and I go, whoa, okay, it's not Jalen Hyatt. <laughs> it's who in the heck are they going after? Lo and behold, it was Jaden Reed. Now, you heard those guys say they had him right around that spot in the 50 spot, right? Me personally, I had him a little bit lower because what was I doing going off the 2022 tape? And big no-no. But Packers are showing this track record that be willing to go back at least two years to grade someone and say, okay, what, what is their peak? What is their ceiling? All right, that's actually their ceiling, not 2022. Jaden Reed's ceiling is actually 2021. That's much higher than 2022. That's where I went off the cuff. And you can bet your rear end, those are in the notes for the spreadsheet next draft, is be, be aggressive at looking at the 2022 tape now for the 2024 draft. That makes sense. So uh, I'm excited about Jaden Reed. Um, again, though, it just made me feel a little bit better because um, I beat myself up. Ryan was laughing about it. I'm like, man, how in the heck did I miss this Jaden Reed? These guys, it kind of caught them off guard a little bit as well, although one still did have them in the 50s range there. So they definitely seen the ceiling and went after it. All right, let's move along to the day two uh, draft picks here, and uh, let's see what they got to say about some of these guys on the backside. First one on day three, Colby Wooden. Yep. 
Ben, I swear I said this to you in like February or January. It was the time when I, I had just gotten done rewatching Colby Wooden because I watched him in the summer off of his redshirt sophomore tape and then watched him again as a redshirt junior. And, you know, again, it was like post-senior bowl, pre-combine. I was like, Colby Wooden just kind of like feels like a Packers defensive lineman. They've, they've drafted guys like, you know, the Montrevious Adams of the world. Obviously, he was another guy from Auburn. Yeah. But like he had that same kind of like versatile skill set. And I was like, he just feels like a guy that would be a good fit there in Green Bay. And lo and behold, he ends up there with the Packers. He was a guy that flashed as a true freshman at Auburn. I was like, whoa, this guy's going to be a first-round pick. I think I was watching Zacoby McLean or somebody smoke Monday, somebody behind him, and just kept looking at number 25. But then the next year, he'd be a stand-up outside linebacker. And then the next year, he's like a one-tech. And in any game, you could find him playing up and down the line, very much like Carl Brooks, who they took you know, out of Bowling Green, who a lot of people wanted to go to the combine, kind of an awkward 300-pound defensive end that can play up and down the line. Both those guys, I think, can have some early impact. But my vote, Anthony Johnson Jr., mm. Iowa State. I think this guy is going to eventually be a starter. Could be day one, week one, taking over that Adrian Amos wow. role. This kid's tough. Excellent top-down instincts and in that cover four kind of quarter scheme where you're playing the run first. Good play ID, good tackling. Really, really tough. And he played corner early on, so he has some instincts with the ball in the air. But this kid is fearless, and I don't think people are realizing the turnover at safety with this Packers team. I think Savage is eventually on his way out, despite them picking up the fifth-year option. Like I had mentioned, Adrian Amos not back with the team this year. Rudy Ford, they did bring back. There's some snaps to be had and some dust to kind of settle on the back end. So I can absolutely see Anthony Johnson Jr. taking that spot very early uh, in his Packers career. Johnson Jr. has a um, a very similar kind of profile. They're different players, but similar kind of profile to Reed Blankenship. And then he's yep. like a four or five year yep. starter. Posted a ton of production. He's played a ton of football for Iowa State. Let's now get to uh, our next category here with the Green Bay Packers. Just big picture. I think all the takeaways uh, from uh, looking at this draft hall, Ben. No, I think you know they took a lot of players in their neck of the woods, as I like to say. They they took the South Dakota State tight end. They took the receiver from Michigan State, the safety yeah. from Iowa State, the D lineman from Iowa. A lot of their early draft capital was those Midwest type of players, which I think is important. You know, you want guys that are comfortable in the cold, comfortable outdoors. You know, they're going to get weather up in Green Bay and Chicago. Yeah, enjoy the comfortable domes in Minnesota and Detroit, but Midwest guys are important to those types of clubs. And I always go back to teams like the Steelers and Mike Tomlin telling us the story of deciding between Eddie Lacy and Le'Veon Bell. And Eddie Lacy had never played a game under 60 degrees, never played a game above the Mason-Dixon line. Le'Veon was a slopper and a mutter out there mm -hmm. in Michigan State. So that type of stuff matters. And I think the Packers took a lot of Packers types of picks, in my opinion, in this draft. Love it, love it. I, I just think that's great, great draft analysis. Um, I think those guys did a phenomenal job. I'm going to hit on the chat here in just a second, guys. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Um, so what did they say there? Talking about Wooden, right? Colby Wooden, defensive lineman. This is a guy that's played everywhere. Now, he's, in my opinion, he's a little too big to play outside linebacker for the Packers. It doesn't mean he couldn't do it in a pinch. I think they're going to beef him up a little bit and use him on the uh, on the interior. Now, they said he's very versatile, right? He flashed as a freshman. They were talking about looking at juniors and seniors for the upcoming draft. These guys, during the summertime, they dig in. On, uh, on basically prospect footage, right? They they want to get – I couldn't tell you how many times I heard Greg Cosell and these guys talk on the current draft for 2023 going, yeah, I actually – I watched him last summer. I did him last summer, uh, his profile. Uh, I remember – so they take this downtime in the summer, which is freaking brilliant, and go, all right, let's comb through last year's college footage. Let's, let's look at some of these top prospects, right? These are things we can be doing as fans, 
during this dead time, rather than complaining, right, and and having to uh, argue with idiots like Colin Cowart and all these guys that are just they're trying to throw stuff out there just to get people triggered and, and reaction. Don't get me wrong. If you like that kind of content, that's great. Me personally, I'm kind of digging into all right. What what are some of the things that that I can be learning? Right? What can we learn about these prospects coming up in the upcoming uh, college football season? I was actually going to go to Ryan and ask him what he thought about the idea of me doing a college football podcast for the Packernet Podcast um, uh, because there's just so much information there that kind of leads into the Packers' upcoming season. So if that's some content you guys might be interested in, uh, shoot him a message let him know. But Wooten, very versatile, flashed as a freshman, right? He played a five-tech. He played a three-tech. He played a wide nine technique. He played a one-tech all over the offensive line. Of course, the wide nine being when he played outside linebacker. I think that probably hurt him a little bit as far as production. But they seen when just – an organization, just a a program being willing to try a defender at all those multiple positions, right? That says a lot about the player in itself. Now you look at the production. Now you look at schematically how did he perform in those specific spots. Um, I think Colby Wooden might be a player to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And they've hit on defensive linemen late in the draft before. You know, Mike Daniels kind of comes to mind. Can't remember exactly where he was drafted. I'm pretty sure he wasn't a first or a second rounder. But Mike Daniels kind of developed into a, a decent defensive lineman. That's not out of the uh, out of the realm of possibility when it comes to trying to get depth and trying to get production on the interior of the defensive line. You never know which one of these guys is just going to click and they're going to go. I mean, Tony Mandrich last night we had on the pod, right? That's a guy. Everybody likes to say, "Oh, he's the biggest bust in history. He's horrible. This and that." You and now you go and watch that E60 and look at some of the footage of the general managers, the coaches across the entire National Football League who are like, that's the slam dunk pick. Do we, but you know, like the Dallas Cowboys, but Troy Aikman, we need a quarterback, right? But yeah, Barry Sanders shows a lot of flash, but don't know if he's the guy. Deion Sanders, man, he's electric, right? No, Tony Mandrich, that's the one that's a slam dunk. That dude's going to be phenomenal. And then, of course, personal issues, addiction, things like that. You never know how things are going to unfold, right? Just like you never know that with those top picks. You don't know it with the later round picks either, right? Do I need to mention Tom Brady? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I know it's it's the exception, not the rule, and I get all that, but um, you never know when these guys are going to spark. Now, the other guy they mentioned was Anthony Johnson Jr. I have really shut up about Anthony Johnson Jr. because I feel like people are laughing under their breath at me when I say, I don't know, man, he was – pretty high on my board, right? When he made, when they made that pick, I said, that's a quality pick. He wasn't my top safety, but he was right there in the same tier. And I'm like, that's a good pick. And then when I, when I started to mention, Hey man, what, why can't he play safety? Right. Why can't he come on the scene? Well, he's, he's a late round pick. Don't kid yourself. That's the guy you're going to fall in love with. And I, I, I literally got beat into the corner like a puppy. He was just like, okay, Maybe I'm being a fanboy here. Hearing them talk about Anthony Johnson Jr. really, it took me back to when I was looking at him and compiling my draft board going, man, this guy right here, that all the there's there's so many things that just sparked in my mind. Like I, this guy kind of feels like he could be a solid safety. Probably not year one, maybe not year two, but he's someone who could develop into a starting safety. And some of the things they talked about, you know, they actually said they wouldn't be surprised if he could start week one as a starting safety, that Adrian Amos row. Now, what role is that? You guys know I've talked about this Fangio-style Joe Barry defense. The safeties are very interchangeable within the Fangio defense. No longer do you have strong and free safety. 
You've really got two safeties that, for the most part, are going to show uh, they're not going to sugar anything pre-snap. They're going to show two on the shelf, and they're going to play the run first, and they're going to play what they call top-down, right? Top-down, meaning from playing on the shelf in that deep, two-high look, right? With even It's really a four-high look because your corners are playing off the line of scrimmage. If you don't believe me, go ask Packer fans because <laughs> that's all you heard about when it came to the Joe Barry defense last year, right? Was everybody was complaining how the corners played off the line. Well, that's that's the Fangio defense, right? I, I want to say this. I, I kind of come across like a Joe Barry apologist. That's not my intent. I just watched the tape and seen, especially in the run defense, so many times, guys, Adrian Amos would come screaming down with that top-down look, right, and miss the tackle. Savage missing tackles. All these – I mean, when I turned on the tape, I didn't go, the scheme screwed up. If I was just watching the game on TV, I would go, well, look at the replay. No wonder it was third and three and they were playing five yards off the ball. I understand that frustration. But when I seen the big plays happen, the Justin Fields read option that he took, he's still running with, Right. Or was it it might have even been Jalen Hurts. I know I know it happened with Fields and it happened with Hurts two different times, but there were missed tackles. And it's like we're we're paying Adrian Amos all this money. On top of that, we put on like three voidable years. So we're paying for him next year, too, if I remember correctly, uh, in tap in cap terms. Right. And it's like he needs to make that tackle. That's what they're talking about with Anthony Johnson Jr. in that role. He's got great top-down instincts. He could play that Amos role. He's great at, uh, at what they call play ID. I call it play rec. It's just recognizing the play early, whether it's a, a run, a pass, a play action, understanding, having that peripheral vision to look at other other route runners that are not lined up directly across from you and them tipping their hand that this is a play action pass. I don't need to bite completely on the run here. Um I call it play recognition, uh, you know, reading the screen, all those things. And he actually played a little corner early too. So shows you he's got the athleticism to be a cornerback, but he's a true safety. That's someone that you might want on the shelf and playing that top down, playing with that top down instinct. So I thought that was very encouraging as well. So according to those guys, right? And again, it's just a couple of opinions. Look out for Kobe Wooden. Look out for Anthony Johnson Jr. And they're not going to be surprised if Tucker Craft is going to step right into that wide tight end starting role. Okay. And Jaden Reed, it confirms everything we've seen on tape. He's going to be a three level player. Now, uh, one of the things they pointed up as we wrap up here, guys, uh, they drafted local players, Midwest top, right? Guys out of the Midwest. Why? Because they're comfortable playing in the cold, right? They're talking about tough outdoor football. That's why they really lean on those Midwest guys. That's why they went with, you know, people like a, a Tucker Craft and and Luke Musgrave and, and even Jaden Reed, right, at Michigan State, if I remember correctly. Got so many players and colleges in my mind right now. I'm sure I've screwed a couple of these colleges up along the way, but players that are used to playing in the cold. You know, they even mentioned that Pittsburgh, actually, it came down to Le'Veon Bell and Eddie Lacy, and they chose Le'Veon Bell because I believe Le'Veon Bell played at Michigan State, Eddie Lacy. <clears throat> played down south, and I think they said he had never played in a game above 60 degrees. Guys, that matters. That freaking matters. So um, good stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Like I said, I just wanted to hit on it. Uh, before we wrap up here, I just want to look in the chat. I appreciate everybody hanging out. Uh, RDC2, Zane, all you guys in the chat. Uh, everybody on YouTube and Twitter, we appreciate you uh, dropping by. 
Let's see here. Zane in the chat, or I'm sorry, RDC in the chat says, I'm looking forward to seeing Reed in pads. Reed, Dobbs, and Watson could be a force. Uh, I like this team on paper. Is or This team on paper is better than last year's 8-9 and nine record, but I'm an optimist. I, I think you and I might be the same person, <laughs> to be honest with you, man. Um, I look at it and I, I see six to ten wins. That's what I see. So your eight and nine record right there in the middle of kind of what I'm predicting, right? Um, and I choose to be an optimist too. People call me a fair, uh, you know, a, what what, a, what do they call me, a sunshine and rainbows type fan. Yeah, I would rather be on that side than just walking around being depressed all the time. Zane in the chat said, Packers third rounders never works out for some reason. I hope Kraft can change that, that theory. I completely agree. I heard somebody say on Twitter the other day, him chugging beers with David Bakhtiari. Maybe that was to reverse the third round curse. But for whatever reason, man, you're right. Third rounders are just uh, they're just not not panning out. RDC, of course, says that's true, Zane. Um, and then, of course, he talked about Tony Mandrich and said Tony has a great testimony. He does, man. He really does. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed about that whole conversation was he said something that was very powerful to me. He said, you know, I try to stay quiet about my faith and the things that are important to me. Um, but what I'm noticing is everyone else is talking about their stance, right? And they're cramming that down my throat. I'm going to start being more vocal. And I respect that because, you know, in our country, our current climate, people should be able to speak their mind. And, and, and people that disagree should be able to respectfully disagree. For some reason, we've accepted this that it's okay just to completely try to dunk on people and bash people for their opinions. And that's not what makes this country great. What makes this country great is we've got people from every freaking walk of life, every race, every country, every background. That's what makes America great, right? Now, none of that matters if only one side's going to get to tell their story. If only, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. It is. I love this testimony. I love that he said that because he's going to, he's going out there, putting himself out there and going, yeah, this is my religion. This is my faith. This is my belief system. This is what I think our country should be. And it doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean you're stupid for believing the way you believe. But I'll be damned if I'm going to let somebody silence me because we disagree. That's not what makes this country great. You know, him being uh, finding out that his parents were Croatian immigrants was just so cool. Right. And finding out that Nick Saban, a young Nick Saban back in 1984, I think he said it was in the early 80s recruited him, and Nick Saban was the defensive backs coach for the Michigan State team at the time. The great Nick Saban, the arguably the greatest, I don't even think it's arguably anymore, the greatest NCAA coach in history. Now, maybe we'll see Kirby Smart unseat him from that. We'll, we'll see. You know, time will tell. But that was the guy that recruited him. And just knowing, immediately it hit me and went, oh, dude, that makes so much sense. Nick Saban is Croatian. Bill Belichick and him connected because Bill Belichick's family was Croatian immigrants and finding out that they were, you know, uh, his parents were Croatian immigrants that, that moved to Canada. And then of course his brother went on to play Kent state football. Um, while he was down here playing football, he convinced his parents to let Tony move down there for a senior year in high school. So he could get some local publicity. And of course, uh, Nick Saban kind of recruited him to Michigan state. And you heard Nick Saban say it as well, man. Not only were the general managers, head coaches, all these people, Nick Saban said to this day, he is the greatest offensive lineman, the most dominant offensive lineman I've ever seen play the game. Um, six foot six, 308 pounds, ran a four, six forty. And it was so cool hearing him talk about how he prepared for that 40. You know, and this is it's an, it's another reason why I'm a little bit hesitant on some of the measurables like that, because these guys now have 
coaches. They have these these training tactics to go, okay, this like he said, this ain't going to help me on the football field. Me running a 40-yard dash has nothing to do with me on the football field. But, but by God, this is what the roadmap says is going to get me paid. I'm going to train my butt off, and I'm going to ace that part of the exam, right? Um, pretty cool. Now, last chat here. Uh, RDC says, I'm rooting for Owens to succeed. I like Jonathan Owens as well at safety. I also like Tervarius Moore. I think Tervarius Moore has a lot more uh, tools to work work with, but it seems like Jonathan Owens might be a little bit better tackler. Um, I'm not expecting much from those two, uh, but, uh, you know, again, every time we doubt Goody with these cheap free agent signings, look what happens, right? People, they, they didn't expect anything from Devondre Campbell. The guy came out and was an all-pro, right, linebacker. They didn't expect anything from Russell Douglas. Russell Douglas was one of our best defensive players that first year with the Packers, and we'll never forget that game-sealing interception in the end zone against Arizona, right, that Kyler Murray tried to go back shoulder to uh, uh, A.J. Green, and Russell Douglas sealed it there. You got several picks. You know, Even last year in Miami, Russell Douglas is one of the players that really comes to mind, you know, with I think he might have had two interceptions in that game. He, he at least had one, and it was very crucial. It might have sealed the game. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm I, Jonathan Owens, Traverius Moore, uh, you got Darnell Savage, you got Rudy Ford, now you've got Anthony Johnson Jr., which these guys were real high on. That's that's how you try to fix that problem. You, you handle it one of two ways. You either go pay top dollar for someone who's absolutely proven and you know he's going to perform like he has in the past, or you take multiple cheap swings, whether it's in the draft or late in free agency, to try to fix that problem. It's worked out in the past for the Packers. Let's see if it, it works out here. So um, that's it, guys. We're going to get out of here. Like I said, this was kind of a surprise pod. Decided to go live on YouTube and Twitter. Didn't want to share the camera. There's no point in you guys having to stare at my ugly mug while I'm talking in the screen. Uh, we had you know a bunch of viewers today, so we appreciate everybody dropping in on this Saturday. We're supposed to hit 88 degrees down here in Tennessee. Um, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to look like a beach well, man. I'm going to get out here in this pool and try to get sunburned a little bit today. And who knows, we might have a couple daddy sodas and uh, and drink a couple cold ones while we're out there. But whatever you guys do today, hope you have a great day. For those of you listening on the pod, appreciate you making us a part of your day. Uh, RDC in the chat says, thanks for your time. Great content. Hey, we appreciate you dropping in, man. We really, really appreciate your time. So um, we're going to get out here as always. Let's go out and be the change uh, we want to see in the world. And go Pat Go. On the right side, taking Belaga's spot. Second down and two. Little flip here to Jones. Gets a block. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down. He's inside the 10. And Jones down the sideline. He is in for the touchdown. Six to seven yards. As you see, man-to-man coverage on a linebacker on his money back. He does the same thing. A little short motion. Get him the ball. And there's just no way that they can compete with Aaron Jones in that kind of space.